Well, we're going to jump into God's Word here. We're continuing. This is week four of Gospel Conversations. And the title of this message this morning is A False Gospel. A, a False Gospel. And so the, the first three weeks that we have looked at the Gospel Conversations, we started with the Incarnation, correct? We started with the reality that God began the conversation with us. God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God became one of us to take our place. And then we went to week two where we talked about Nicodemus and Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. And what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? Okay, we can say that a little louder. Must be born again, right? Because that's the, that's the beauty of the gospel. Is that the gospel is not, the gospel message is not a reconstruction program. The gospel is not a message where we add to attempts of self-righteousness on our own. The gospel is a born-again message. The gospel is, is a message of death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. And so that's what we looked at in this second week of, a third, uh, second week of the gospel conversation. Then we went to week three where we talked about the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And one of the highlights of the message with the, 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 the conversation with the Samaritan woman was that Jesus looked at a woman that was unclean to the Jews. She was, she was a Samaritan, and Jesus broke down those cultural barriers and went and had a conversation with somebody that was, that was considered unclean. And then he looked at her, and he said, go call your husband. Go call your husband. And he confronted the area of sin in her life. And so one of the highlights from the message last week was that there is no gospel without repentance. There is no such thing as an easy believism gospel that it doesn't cost you anything. That the gospel and repentance come together. We must repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to be talking about the response of the gospel. We're going to look at extravagant worship next Sunday. And we're going to talk about how we are called to because of what Christ has done in us and how he's transformed us and how he has forgiven us and how we've made brand, been made brand new. Worship, extravagant worship with our words, with our song, with our life is the natural response. And then the, the last message for Gospel Conversations on the 14th, we'll, we'll look at how the gospel produces change in our life. And how, and how God, through the gospel, he begins this process of sanctification in our life where we become more like him, conformed into his image each and every day as the Holy Spirit is at work in our life. But this week, before we get to the response, before we get to what happens because of the gospel, our response, our worship, and then the sanctification process, I want to talk about a false gospel. You know that there are false gospels that are out there. There are false messages that exist in the world today. False gospels have been around since the early church. If you want to learn about false gospels and false teachers, read any of Paul's letters. At some point, the Apostle Paul, for, for the most parts of most of his letters, he is addressing false teachers. He is warning true believers to be careful for false messages that are out there that are, that, that, that are trying to come into the church. And we know that the enemy is the one that is a source of false gospels, the source of a false message, because his desire is to infiltrate the church and to bring a false message that gets believers distracted, that gets believers believing things that aren't true about God, about themselves, and about the world. And so this is what we're going to talk about. And I want to highlight one particular false gospel, but before we do that, let's read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly, and here's the, here's, the, here's the key, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So before we get into this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning. God, I ask, God, that you would help me to communicate clearly. Well, this is a serious subject. This is a subject that, that we don't like to think about and process. But Lord, the reality is true. God, that there are false beliefs and false messages that are out there. That sometimes we don't even realize we are under the influence of them. And God, I pray that you would help me to articulate clearly, help us all to hear and receive. 
And may all be done for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I said earlier, there have been many false messages and false teachers that have come throughout the history of the church. From the beginning of the birth of the church all the way until now. And it will continue until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is one uh, category of false gospel that is out there and it's popularly known as the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the prosperity gospel. Now, when I say the prosperity gospel, many of you, you have a caricature in your mind of what the prosperity gospel is. And if I were to ask you what, what, what one word would describe the, the prosperity gospel, many of you would say money. And so we're going to talk about that aspect of the prosperity gospel. But really what we're going to look at is we're going to look at three streams of thought or ideas that come out from under the prosperity gospel. This, this general picture of the prosperity gospel. We're going to look at three ideas that come out from under the prosperity gospel. And then fourthly, we're going to look at the implications of those three thoughts. So I want you to track with me this morning. And, but we'll start with John 6, 22 through 27. Because this is where we are launching our gospel conversation series from. Is the book of John. Let's look at the story. Jesus had fed the 5,000. He did an amazing miracle. He fed 5,000 people and there were baskets of fish and, and bread left over. And it was an amazing miracle. It was an amazing miracle. Can you imagine being there? Think about that. Women and children were all fed over 5,000. It said 5,000 men, not including women and children. So probably upwards of eight to 10,000 people were fed from just a few loaves and a few fish. It's an amazing miracle. And Jesus did miracles like that all the time. And so he feeds the 5,000, nighttime comes, and it says earlier in John 6 that Jesus got in a boat and he went to the other side of the lake and his disciples followed him. And so the people that were just fed, they woke up and, and here's, here's where we pick up the story. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So it looks good. Doesn't it look good? Right? That's what we want people to do. We want people to seek Jesus. So it looks good. They're seeking Jesus. And they said, now they found him. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, and the implication of that thought, not because you saw signs and believed, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And so Jesus begins this conversation with the group of people that are seeking him. And he immediately recognizes the reason why they were seeking him. They were not seeking him because they believed that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the son of the living God. And he calls it out and he says, you were seeking me because you ate your fill. Because I did something for you. Because I provided something for you. I gave you something out of my goodness. And so that's why you're seeking me. And if you go through the rest of chapter 6, he begins this conversation with this group of people. And it starts like this. He says, eventually, he says, I am the bread of life. Because they start talking about how, hey, well, well, our, our, our father, our, our father Moses, he gave us bread in the wilderness. And he took care of us and he provided for us. And Jesus culminated his statement by saying, I am the bread of life. I am the source of true sustenance. And these people had their minds on earthly things. And then you go through the story, you keep going through this conversation. And Jesus ultimately begins to say this. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And then you get to the, the ultimate section there. John 6, 66, 666. And it says this. It says that many that day that were disciples quit following him because the saying was too hard. Because Jesus said that it's going to cost you something. Unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood. He was saying it takes sacrifice. It's not about following me because of what I've done for you. It's not about following me because you think there's going to be a reward for it. It's sacrifice. It's laying down your life. 
It's taking me for who I am, receiving me and all that I am and all that I say about who I am and how to get to heaven. It's not about what you get. It's about who I am. And then Jesus looked at the disciples that were following him more closely. And he says, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave also? And Peter, what did Peter say? He stood up and said, he said, where are we going to go? Who else has the words of life? Peter got it right. Peter understood and he got it right. So this is the backdrop of the prosperity gospel. I see the prosperity gospel in its core, in its foundation, in this account. So here's my definition of the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is this, any system of belief that makes God a servant to man to fulfill man's desires instead of man being made a servant of God to fulfill God's desires. Let's read it again. Any system of belief that makes God subservient to man to fulfill man's desires instead of man being made a servant of God to fulfill God's desires. So let's look at the three lies of the prosperity gospel and then we'll look at the main implication from under those lies. First one is this, the first main lie. This is the first one you guys thought of when I said prosperity gospel. Number one, this is a lie that godliness is used as a means for gain. Godliness as a means for gain. This is the most obvious form of the prosperity gospel. This is the version that we often see on TV. Have you, have you seen them on TV? What do they tell you on TV? They say that if you will sow your seed money, if you will give your seed money, then you'll be healed. Then you'll be financially prosperous. If you will give, then God will do something for you. It is, a, it is an exchange of money for goods, money for something that you want and that you desire. It is the prosperity gospel. The preacher is asking people for money and promising them. Here, And here's the key. They're promising them that God will do something for them if they will give. And I want to tell you this morning, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's a pyramid scheme. The only one getting rich is the one that's on TV begging for your money. Those are the ones that are getting rich. This kind of false teaching takes a portion of the truth, hear me, takes a portion of the truth and mixes it with error. That's what false teachers do. They take a portion of the truth and they mix it with error. God does want to bless you with material things. He has. Think about the things that we do have. They're all from God. The houses we live in, the cars that we drive, our family, the jobs, the money, all of it. Think of all the material things we have. They do come from the Lord. So God does want to bless us with material things. But here's the reality that God does bless us, but it's, it's, it's rooted in our submission to him and in our heart of generosity. Not this idea of this, of this payment plan that I give to get. I give to get. Luke 6.38 says this. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. That's biblical. Jesus said that. It's true. That if you will be generous, that the Lord will bless you. But what the false prophet, what the false teacher of the prosperity gospel tells you is that if you will give your money to him or to her, that he, they promise that God will bless you with what you want, with what you desire, with the healing that you want, with the, with the new truck you want, the new job you want, or whatever you're looking for. And here's what they say. They say, well, well sowing and reaping is a biblical principle. They use this idea of sowing and reaping, this, this biblical law. And how many of you know that it's a biblical law? Sowing and reaping. Do you guys know what the context of that section in, in, in Galatians 6 is? Let's, let's look at Galatians 6. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So here's what it is pointing to. For the one who sows to his own flesh. This is speaking of sowing to our flesh in sinful ways. Will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So here's the picture. The primary purpose of the scripture of the principle of sowing and reaping. This law that God has put in place is that we should understand that when we sow to the flesh, that we will of the flesh reap corruption. But when we sow to the spirit in godliness, that we will reap of the spirit in righteousness and peace and joy and goodness. 
has nothing to do with material things. But what the false teacher will do is that they'll use that biblical principle and they will play on our natural tendency towards greed. And they'll say, hey, God wants to bless you with all of these things. Be generous, give, and you will get what you desire. The true gospel produces generosity with no expectations of return. Is that, is that not what Jesus did? Isn't he our model? How did Jesus give? Did, did he give to get? Did he give, the, did he give the utmost and all? And what did he get in return? He got us, but he didn't give to get. And that wasn't his motivation. His motivation was to give to provide forgiveness for us. It was the true heart of generosity. So whenever we have been transformed by the gospel, we, don't, we are not generous so that we can get in return. Christian giving is not a 401k. Christian giving is not an investment plan. Christian giving is not an investment plan. Some, some people think that. They think, hey, I'm just storing up. I'm storing up all this stuff. I'm going to give, I'm going to give, I'm going to give, and then God's going to owe it to me. Christian giving is not an investment plan or a 401k. Christian giving is based out of generosity. Christian giving is giving that is generated out of the overflow of gratefulness over what Christ has done in our lives through the cross. We don't give to get. We don't give out of fear. We don't give to appease God or man. I just want to tell you this. You should never give out of fear that you're going to lose out. You should never give because you're afraid that God's going to curse you. You should never give out of fear because you feel like that, that, that I'll somehow find out if you're giving or you're not giving. You need to know this. I don't look at any of the giving records. I don't know what any of you give because I don't want to know because that's between you and the Lord. So you give because you recognize that God is the source of all things. And you give out of the first fruits of all of your increase to put him first because you're acknowledging that he has blessed you with all things. And so you want to put him first in your life, in particular with your finances. That's why you give, not to get, not to get. The prosperity gospel feeds into our natural tendency towards greed. The prosperity gospel does not encourage contentment. The prosperity gospel turns biblical principles of generosity into a means of fulfilling our selfish desires. 1 Timothy 6 says this, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. This is the prosperity gospel right here. But what's the truth? But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world. This is the message that the TV preachers, the prosperity gospel preachers will not teach you and will not tell you those things that you're wanting, that you're desiring, that they're telling you to give, to get. You don't take it with you. And it is not a sign of the blessing of God on your life to be rich. Did you know that? It's not a sign of the blessing of God on your life to be rich. You know what the sign of the blessing of God on your life is? It's peace with the Lord. It's joy in the Lord in the midst of of chaos. It's the reality that, that God is with you. It's the fruit of the Spirit in your life that demonstrates that God is with you. Not a big house and a nice car and a, and a big bank account. Those are all lies. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen to this. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who, who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Money's not bad, but what's bad? The love for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The prosperity gospel only works in certain zip codes and countries. In America. In Western culture. You can't preach this in Africa, though they do. You can't preach this in a third world country. It doesn't work for them. So if your message can't travel a a time zone, if if your gospel is not for everyone, then it's not a gospel 
at all. Prosperity gospel produces self-absorbed people who only think about their immediate circumstances versus a selfless gospel-focused heart of generosity. Amen? That's the obvious one. You thought, man, what's going to happen next? (laughs) The next two, right? That's the obvious one. But I think you need to hear it. You need to hear your pastor say that. It's false. It's not good. And when you see it, you need to recognize it. And don't, don't, don't be led astray by those people that are out there asking you for your money. Give your money somewhere else. Don't give it to them. Don't give it to them. And, and, and I'm purposely not going to name a single person that I consider a, a prosperity gospel teacher because that's not my goal. My goal is this. My goal is that you would have discernment and that you would hear what I say and that whenever you hear something, you'd be like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. I see that. What's the second lie? Now, here's what it starts with the obvious, and then it gets subtle, and then it gets more subtle with the third lie. Second lie is this. This is going to be challenging. I just want to tell you, this would be a challenging thought for us to talk through, but let's talk through it. Here's the second lie of the prosperity gospel. Physical healing is reduced to a formula. Physical healing reduced to a formula. Let's unpack it. What's the first thing that we know? Scripture shows us that creation is under a curse. The earth itself, as well as humans, we are no longer able to live forever because we are under the curse of sin. And that's what we see in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So I have good news for you this morning. I got a prosperity gospel message for you this morning. You're going to die. There's no, not many prosperity gospel preachers are going to teach you that, that you're going to die, right? That's not what they want to tell you, but it's true, right? We are all going to die. There will be a day that you don't know, but God does. It is appointed. Isn't it an interesting word? It is appointed. You have an appointment with death, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Hold up, time out. I don't know about that. I can work on my health. I can exercise. Look, how many of you know people? Man, they're as as healthy as you can imagine. They work out, they exercise, and and you think, how in the world did they die? Because you're not promised your next breath. You don't know that healthy person that exercises and, work and, and works out could get in a car accident. Like none, that, 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 our life, our future is in God's hands. It is appointed. James 4, 13 through 15 says this, Come now, you who say, Tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. That's, that's truth. Our life is a vapor. And if the Lord wills, I will make it to next Sunday and preach you another sermon. Actually, Pastor Matt's preaching next Sunday, so I won't preach next Sunday. But I'm going to be right there watching Pastor Matt preach. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, I'm going to make it home this afternoon to eat my leftover spaghetti that I made last night. If the Lord wills. We'll do this and we'll do that. Because of this reality of our physical brokenness, there is a deep groaning and longing for redemption. Do you feel that longing and that groaning for redemption? The earth long is longing and is groaning and we see that in Romans 8. Let's read this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. This is the earth itself, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So not only is the earth groaning for redemption, but we ourselves are groaning We who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We weren't saved in the hope that this life would be perfect. That's not where salvation is founded upon. What's the hope of our salvation? It's the hope of future salvation. We are saved. We are being saved in this life here, but we will be saved one day. We will be redeemed. That is where our hope is. Our hope is not here and now. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. 
for who hopes and what he sees. My hope's not in this earth. That's what I see. But I hope for what Christ has planned for me in the future. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Amen? The biblical truth is that we all get sick because we're all dying. That's the biblical truth. We all get sick. And so if somebody tells you, well, if you, if you had enough faith, here's what the prosperity gospel tells you. If you have enough faith, well, you can stop the sickness. You can, you can, you can live this life of continual healing in your life because of something that you do. We all get sick because we are all dying. Because we are all under the curse that humanity has plunged into because of sin. This next form of the prosperity gospel ignores the clear biblical reality. This clear biblical reality promotes a teaching that leaves many people hopeless and hurt. Listen to this. I'm going to say some strong things here. I want you to hear me. The basic belief that sets people up for discouragement and despair is that our physical healing can be appropriated at will. Listen. What sets people up for discouragement and despair is that our physical healing can be appropriated at will if we do the right things, if we pray the right things, if we quote the right scriptures, if we claim the promises, if we have the right kind of faith, if we cease from doubting, if we plead the blood, if we pray in Jesus' name, if we, if we, if we, fill in the blanks, whatever you want to add to it. I just gave some of the more popular ideas that are out there. I just want to tell you that you can plead the blood, you can pray in faith, you can quote all the healing scriptures you want to quote, you can do all the things that you are told, and you've been told for all these years that you can do, that you've been heard, you've heard from all these different outside sources, you can do all of these things, and I can tell you that sometimes you won't get healed. And I know that you know that that's true. But it's hard for us to break through that wall in our thinking, because we think, well, if, if, if I say that, then that means that I don't have faith. You know what? Sometimes in our life we have to settle the fact that we're, that, that, that we're not God and that God is. And that is, one of a bi- that, that is one of the biggest leaps of faith that any of us have to have. Is that my physical healing and my physical life is in his hands. And if he's going to heal me because of my prayer, he's going to heal me. But if he's not, he's not. You know what really bothers me? What really is a struggle for me? As a pastor, I'll be honest with you. When I go and I, I pray with people who are sick and are dying. Like, real, like really dying. Not just sickness like that, that people will get over, but really dying. Just happened recently. Went and prayed. It really bothers me when I hear somebody say, well, I prayed all the, the scriptures. And I quoted all the promises. Why is it not working? It hurts my heart. It really hurts my heart to hear that because they are believing something that's not true. They've been told that if they do A, B, C, then D is going to happen. One, two, three, then four is going to happen. And it's something that is not biblically true because there's, there's, this, there's this, this, this balance of thought here. We know that we all get sick. We know that we're all dying. And so sometimes God says, yes, I'll heal you. But sometimes God says, no, I won't. And so what happens is, is that people, a lot of times, I've seen it, people will become disillusioned about God because they've heard all these things all their life about sickness and healing. And when it comes to it, God doesn't choose to heal them. And so now, the God that they've set up, their view of God, is not accurate and true. So they give up on that God. They say, well, that God didn't work for me. That God can't be good and he can't be true because I did what he told me to do. You guys following me? There are countless people lined up ready to tell us how to get our healing. Even so-called faith healers make claims that they can heal on command. It's not true. So what is true about healing for today? I know those are some heavy thoughts, but what is true about healing for today? God still heals today. He does. He does. God is a healer. And God does miracles. And he can heal today. But physical healing is not promised in scripture as guaranteed this side of heaven. To believe that and to teach that sets people up for pain. So people always say, and I've, I've had conversations with people, they say, okay, well, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but what about Jesus when he walked the earth? And what about the apostles and the disciples when they walked the earth? Didn't we see miracles in the 
Gospels and in the book of Acts. What about all of that? So here's what, here's what, here's what I'll tell you. Jesus was God. And Jesus can heal whenever, however he wants to heal. Because he's God. We can't compare ourselves to Jesus. We can't say that because Jesus did it, I'll be able to do it. Jesus is God. And the same thing is true, true with the, the disciples. Yes, they, they had a lot of miracles that were done through their hands. Even handkerchiefs were taken and brought and laid on people that were prayed over by the apostles. And people were healed. But you know what also is true? Second Timothy 4 19 through 20. This is a, a d- early church disciple, a picture of this reality. Greet uh, Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onis- Onisiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. It's an early disciple who was sick. 1 Timothy 5, 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy says, you frequently are getting sick. Here's what I want you to use for your sickness. Philippians 2, 25 through 27. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. Next verse. But God had mercy on him. Just because... We like, we like to look at all the sections in the New Testament and the apostles and the, and the gospels where we saw healing. But they got sick just like we did. And you know what? They, another re- reality was with the apostles and the early disciples is that they were persecuted beyond anything we could ever imagine as New Testament Christians in America. That all of the apostles, save one, was martyred gruesomely for their faith. The early church believers and apostles were all persecuted and many martyred for their faith in Christ. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, listen to this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Listen, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. We don't know what the thorn was, but he prayed that it would leave him. And listen to what Jesus says. Listen to what the Lord says. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, Paul says, all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Prosperity gospel preachers aren't going to preach that. He pleaded, but God said no. Does God have the prerogative to say no? Absolutely. So what is our response? Does God heal today? Yes, he does. What do we do about it? Do we pray for it? Absolutely. Look at James chapter 5, 13 through 15. It gives us our response to what I'm trying to get us to think about. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So what do we do? We pray. But here's how we pray. We, we actually pray. What is prayer? What's, what's prayer? Prayer is a petition. It's asking. Prayer is not demanding or commanding. When you go before the God of the universe, you think you have the right to tell him what to do? No. When you go before the God of the universe who's holy and just and righteous, you go, you go, before, him for, you go before him for any of your needs. This is what you do. You come open-handed. You say, Lord, this is my desire. My loved one has cancer. My, my, my friend is sick in this area. I have this struggle, this issue. Lord, I come open-handed and I say, Lord, this is what I'm asking. This is what we're asking. And then, and then you leave it there. You say, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done in my life. That's prayer. That's prayer. When we pray for healing, we should actually pray. Prayer is a petition. Prayer is a request. Prayer is not a command. We come to God with open hearts and open hands and we earnestly ask that he would heal. And just like with other requests we bring to God, we leave it in his hands, under his rule. We trust him with the results. But the opposite of this is true. The prosperity gospel turns God into a genie in a bottle that we can get to do whatever we desire. The prosperity gospel turns God into our servant and puts him in debt to us. The God of the prosperity gospel is not a God at all, but is rather a power that people try 
to control. Thirdly, I know, man, I, I debated whether I was going to go past that second point. That's some heavy thoughts. And here, so, so what, what I want you to know is, is that you may not agree with what I say here this morning. And I, I'm, I'm honestly okay with that. I'm just preaching out of my conviction based upon God's word. So I'm okay if you're, if you're not okay with it. But I want you to think. I want you to think. And this next one is going to cause you to think even more. If you thought point two is a stretch, listen to this. So this is another lie of the prosperity gospel. The purpose of the Bible is your personal victory and happiness. That's a lie. The purpose of the Bible is not your personal victory and happiness. This is the subtlest lie of the prosperity gospel because it sounds good, because it feels good, because it preaches good, because we live in a you deserve it culture today. You deserve it. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be blessed. You deserve to have everything work out in your life. You deserve victory. You deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. And when we live in a you deserve it culture, when somebody comes around and every sermon they preach and everything they talk about is how the Bible is centered around you going from one victory to another victory to another victory. And it's about you becoming happy and more happy. Well, it's easy to preach that. I could preach that every Sunday to you and you guys would love it. You'd shout me down every Sunday. You wouldn't have to hear messages like this. Challenging your thinking. Because that's easy to preach. The Bible is not a book. It primarily teaches us how to get from one earthly victory to the next. The Bible is a book that teaches us how to get from earth to heaven. That's what the Bible is there for. This version of the prosperity gospel, if continually digested, produces self-centered believers who have a hard time seeing beyond their immediate circumstances to seeing what matters most in view of eternity. This version of the prosperity gospel produces earthly-minded people instead of heavenly-minded people. You guys hear me? The prosperity gospel and all that it preaches produces earthly-minded people instead of heavenly-minded people. You you ever heard the phrase, maybe your mother told you or your your grandmother told you or somebody told you? They, They said something like, you're so heavenly minded that you have no earthly good. Have you ever heard that phrase? You're so heavenly minded that you're not even good here on earth. That's ridiculous. And that's a lie. You know what the truth is? If you're not heavenly minded, you will struggle to be of any earthly good. This, heaven, this place is not our home. This place is not our We're just passing through. We need a steady dose of sermons that will point us away from ourselves. We need sermons that will point us away from ourselves and to the beauty of Christ and to the great commission. That's what we need, a steady dose of sermons that will say that, will say, that, that, will say that Christ is exalted, that Christ is glorious, that Christ is beautiful, and that we're, when we're in the middle of the difficulties of our life, we're in the middle of our sickness and our pain and the, and the struggles of our life, that we can lift our eyes up and see the beauty of Christ and be reminded that this earth is temporary and that heaven is coming and heaven is on its way. We need those type of messages that will lift our eyes up and not have our eyes be stayed here. And we need to be reminded that the Great Commission is our daily call in our life. And then there are people, look, if if we preach messages that are solely about people getting their stuff, getting their healing, getting their blessing, getting their victory, and we fail to consistently point them to the beauty of Christ, to the truth of the gospel, they can get all their stuff but end up in hell. Because they've not heard the truth of the gospel. That's what the prosperity gospel does. We need a steady dose of sermons that will show us that the Christian life is bigger than us getting our stuff. It's bigger than us becoming a better version of ourselves. The Christian life is bigger than us trying to figure out how to claim our victory, defeat our enemy, and find our happiness. Our Christian life is not our Christian life. Because we have died to ourselves. The Christian life is about Christ. It's about his glory. It's about his name and about his victory. Amen? Any victory that Christ wins on our behalf is not about our temporary happiness, but about his name being eternally glorified. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. 
Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Basically what that means is look out for those speaking to Jewish Christians who tell you you must be circumcised in your flesh to be saved. That's what he's saying there. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Listen to this. Though I myself have, have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I have all these good things. I've been circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, I was blameless. Listen to this. But whatever gain I had, whatever goodness I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things. All things. Prosperity gospel didn't work with Paul. I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Amen. Do we have blessings in this life? Absolutely. Does God, does God take us from victory to victory? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's not the purpose of Christianity. You know what, what's beautiful? What I think is beautiful is when I see a brother or sister in Christ and they're suffering. They've got cancer or they've got tons of debt. They've got a broken marriage. They're struggling in some area of their life. And in the middle of the storm, they have their faith. In the middle of the storm, they haven't given up on God. That's the picture of the gospel. Not trying to figure out, well, how can I get it? How can I fix it? That's up to the Lord. Our life is in his hands. Our life is in his hands. Now, let's look at the implication of these three thoughts. Godliness is a means to gain. Physical healing. Physical healing is reduced to a formula. And then the purpose of the Bible is primarily our happiness and our victory. Those are all three distortions of the truth. What happens when you believe those things consistently? Here's what I want to challenge you with real quick before we get to, the, to this last point. You probably, I, you see it in your notes what the fourth point is, but before I say it, here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you to evaluate the people you listen to. Talk about the preachers you listen to. And I'm, I'm praying that, that this sermon, after you listen to it, you, you go to scripture, you evaluate. The next time you hear somebody, I want you to think about it. What are they, what are they telling me? What are they consistently telling me? Because here's the implications of the prosperity gospel. In the prosperity gospel, there is no category for suffering. There's none. I was listening to one of them last night. I was listening to one of them last night. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a false teacher who spews out lies. This is what he told people last night. He told them. This is just last week he preached it. He said, he said, if you don't get your healing, you just got to say it and you 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 got to say it till it comes. And I looked at the 2000 people that were in the room and I thought, man, I'm, we're not going to have 2000 people at church tomorrow. Maybe I could preach that and people will start coming. But I love God more and I care about speaking what's true more than packing a, a building out. Because. Because what he's saying is not true. That's mind control. It's, it's manipulation. Just say it. Just say it. Keep saying it until it happens. There's no category for suffering in the prosperity gospel. Matthew seven twenty four through 27 says this. Jesus said this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. So here's what we need to know. The winds and rain will beat on your life. Whether you do what Jesus says or you don't. Do you guys realize that? Non-believers or believers alike. The winds and rain of this life beat on everybody. Everybody suffers. We all Suffer. The sufferings and trials of this life will beat on those who follow Christ and those who don't. The key difference is, is what is our foundation? Every lie of the prosperity gospel falls apart at this 
point. So how will your beliefs hold up when you suffer? When the winds beat against you? When the water is rising? When you're depressed and discouraged? When you're sick and suffering? We are either currently suffering or we're moving towards it. We are. We're either currently suffering right now or we don't know when the next one's coming, but it's coming. Be of good cheer. That's what Jesus said. In this life you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I'm just quoting Christ. It's coming. But be of good cheer. Why? He's overcome the world. So you can overcome. Because your eyes are not set on the world, but on heaven. Our sufferings in this life will test our beliefs about who we know God to be. You guys remember Luke 22? Jesus' conversation with Peter. He says this in Luke 22, 31 through 32. Jesus tells Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, that your faith would not fail. That's what it's about. It's not about our bodies failing or not failing. It's not about us having money or not having money. It's about our faith. That in the end, we'll be standing. Again, I'm going six feet under with dirt in my face. But in the end, when I'm standing before the Lord, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I'm after. Some of you are like, that are closer to, y'all ready to go, right? You've, you've had enough of the suffering. You want the joys of heaven. Will our faith fail when we are in financial lack? Will our faith fail when we get fired from our job? Will our faith fail when our hours get cut? Will our faith fail when we get diagnosed with cancer? Will our faith fail when we pray for the healing and it doesn't come? Will our faith fail when our loved one dies unexpectedly? That's, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Prosperity gospel is a, is a con- con- conglomeration of a bunch of lies that, that harm believers in Jesus Christ and, and deceive non-believers into thinking they're saved, but they're not. Because they not believe correctly about God and His Son, Jesus. It's a distortion. Christianity is a religion of suffering. The one who, the, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the, of the New Testament that we preach, that we just went through Ephesians, we're going to go through Philippians next. Him, the one we're going to study his writings. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians. Listen to the sufferings of the apostle Paul. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a mad, I am talking like a madman with far great labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, And often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night. I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, is naked in the cold. For the gospel's sake, because he was preaching Christ and him crucified and resurrected. For the gospel's sake, that's the gospel. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's cold, he's naked, he's beaten and bloodied. And he says, on top of all of those things, I'm anxious about the church. Why was he anxious about the church? Because of lying, deceiving, false teachers that were coming in to deceive God's people. That's why he was anxious. Prosperity gospel doesn't work with scripture. It doesn't work with the apostle Paul. Listen to what the Apostle Paul thought about his sufferings. We read his sufferings. What did he think about them? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And that is what I know is true in our life as believers. Some of you have been through pain that I would never understand because I never experienced it. But you're on this side of it. Your faith has not failed. And there are so many good things that you can point to that have happened in your life because you went through it. That's what Paul thought about his suffering. What then shall I say to these things? These sufferings. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of, in, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This is my declaration. I wrote a declaration for myself. This is what I want to say about myself, and I pray that this is what you say about yourself. This earth is not my home. This body is not my own. My sufferings and pain, my sickness and death is not the end. I was created for another place. My hope is not here and now. My joy is not in temporary things. My eyes are fixed. My heart resolved. I will glorify God with every breath he gives. Through good times or bad. If healing comes or it waits, I will live my life for one purpose. To point others to the peace that only comes through faith in Christ. Amen. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. God, I know this has been a challenging word for all of us. It stretches our thinking whenever we hear things that come against some of the, the, the beliefs that have been maybe ingrained in us for years. Lord, I pray that, that we would consider, that we would think deeply about these areas. And in any area that we need to grow in or change, myself included, Lord, help us to grow and to change, to submit to Scripture, to submit to your word. God, I pray for those here this morning that are suffering right now, that are going through difficulties. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them. And those that are sick, God, we pray that you'd heal them. We ask, God, that you would work a miracle in their life and bring healing to their physical bodies. God, we place all of those things in your hands because you're a good and faithful God. God, I pray that you bless your people today. Strengthen them and give them a great time with their family today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You are dismissed. I love you.